This week on The Vergecast, we talk about Dieter's Samsung Galaxy S20 review. We go through the latest Apple leaks, Apple Watch, iOS 14, maybe an ARM MacBook. And we end with a little bit of Android TV. That's The Vergecast coming up now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking. So why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of is it canceledyet.com? A website <laughs> where things are listed and it says yes. Yeah, no, it turns or, out it's I looked at the source code, it just says yes. <laughs> uh, it, is it canceledyet.com? Uh, by the way, a real website you can go to is set up by Verge Executive Editor TC Sodic. Hilariously, because we we had our, our standard sort of end of day editors meeting, and we're like, should we make a list? And we decided we weren't gonna make a list. It, it, it just makes sense as a story for us. And then he went and made a website. And, and website it's gone is, viral and it's, it's ruined his life. <laughs> There's so much happening. Uh, it's very it's very entertaining to watch that go. Anyway, I'm Neelai. I'm your friend. That's Dieter. I'm Dieter. I'm, um, I'm podcasting from home. It's exciting. Paul Mill and I are together. We are not socially distanced ourselves. No, no. This is social. What's the opposite of social distance? Social, social cuddling. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Social proximity. We'll just say it from the jump. The uh, the big news in the world is the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, this is almost certainly the last episode of the Vergecast that we're going to tape in a studio together like this. Everyone else's offices in the tech industry, we're being encouraged to work from home. So next week might sound a little weird. We'll We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, but I think we'll be fine. And I do want to say we're not going to talk a lot about the virus and the pandemic on this episode of The Vergecast. Just this past Tuesday, we had Liz Lopato and Nicole Wetzman on the interview episode. They went through it at length with us, both from the science and health side and the sort of business and supply chain side. One of my favorite episodes, I got to hand it to Nicole, is her first episode of The Vergecast. She's brand new. She just started with us in December, uh, but her first time on the show in the middle of just an absolute uh, deluge of news that she has to handle, and she did an amazing job explaining the story. So go and listen to that. The facts of the story are changing minute by minute, right? There's sort of this two-part experience of trying to cover the story. One is that something crazy happens every day. Something gets canceled or the White House contradicts itself or something nuts happens every day, and that's very dynamic, and we're covering that. But then the sort of core facts that you need to know are relatively static, mm -hmm. right? Wash your hands, stay away from large crowds, be safe. Don't do a podcast in the same studio don't, as somebody else. Don't just <laughs> crawl into Paul's lap and start breathing on him. Like, it's some basic stuff. Please don't hoard things that you don't necessarily need, uh, especially things like masks, um, other medical supplies. I also think it's odd that people are hoarding, to hoarding toilet paper, frankly, um, but we'll let that go. I encourage people to buy a bidet in the processor newsletter this week, and I, mm. I stand by that recommendation. That's fundamentally a tech story what you're, that you were talking about there. Um, right. Don't overly panic, but there are some core facts about the virus, where it came from, how it spreads, all that stuff that are static. We're going to try our best as a, a news site to emphasize the static facts that we know that are reliable, even while covering the sort of rapidly changing dynamic stuff that's happening elsewhere. So we talked about all that stuff on Tuesday. 
I know people need a break, so we're gonna we're gonna try to do whatever tech news we can today on the show. I also want to call out some other big stories on our site that are worth reading and paying attention to this week because they are very good, very deeply reported, and if not for the virus, they'd be all we were talking about. So first, uh, Bijan Steven profiled Dr. Disrespect, who is an excellent streamer on Twitch. That profile months in the making. Uh, the doc, as Bijan calls him in the piece over and over again, just signed a, a, a two-year, he re-upped a two-year deal with Twitch. So the story is really about that economy of streamers, which I think is super interesting. It's blowing up. It's very rich. Go read that. It's really good. Ashley Carmen wrote a story <laughs> about a backpack. You know a story is going to be good when at one point the reporter like comes to you and is like, well, the, the cops are involved. So, um, <laughs> so that also months in the making, Ashley found a crowdfunded backpack uh, called the iBackpack, which had a bunch of compartments, a Kevlar system, just this... One of these crowdfunded promises, it went mm. totally, raised a bunch of money, went totally sideways. She went, interviewed the creator, talked to a bunch of backers, was on the phone with the Federal Trade Commission, all this stuff. Great story, amazing profile. Go read that. Uh, and then we had a great story from our science team that was not about the pandemic, about how um, a lot of the glassware used in science is still hand blown uh, by glassmakers who are like generation, like family generations of glassmakers. That is a really cool video, it's a really cool story. I realize, and you know, we get it, that everyone is very understandably distracted by the pandemic, but if you need a break, and it's fine to take a break, uh, there's some other stuff to, to go read and listen to on our site in addition to the news about the virus. And then there's- We're going to talk about pixel binning. <laughs> yeah, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about cell phones I, on this show. I, but we're paying attention to it, like I said, if you want to go listen to Tuesday's episode to get deep on the virus, it's there for you. The site is there for you. We're going to try to- talk about tech today. I have some personal Kickstarter uh, news. Uh, I've t mentioned this multiple times on the podcast because I ordered it like three or four years ago, but the open source voice assistant has been delayed again. Oh, oh, no. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> An open source community of action project has gone this sideways. is as disappointing for you as it is for us. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. What's it called? It had, it had Mycroft. Mycroft. We're still rooting for you guys. Mycroft is like Bixby's older brother can't quite get it together. It's like that's what that name makes me think of. But open source. But open source. <laughs> Speaking of things you can depend on year after year without fail, Dieter, you, you, you have a million phones to review. Last week we talked about the Ultra at length, and this, this week it was sort of the more default choice, the, the Galaxy S20. And where the Ultra was reaching for the, you know, you reach for the stars and maybe you get the sky. What's this phrase? The, the S20 Ultra, it's just, let's just say it like blew up on the launch pad. It, it, it's a fine phone, but it's not a great phone. They tried to do too much and they failed. Mm -hmm. um, the S20, though, turns out Samsung has been making Galaxy phones for, you know, 11 years now, and they've gotten good at it. Would you say that the Ultra lacked focus? Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Harsh burn. I, I, I wish I had, actually. <laughs> Although, to my credit, at, at like literally five minutes before publish, I'm like, I still don't have a good headline. And then just, it popped into my head. We'll call it Shutterbug, which yeah. is great. It was really good. Yeah. The S20, which is in my mind, really just an S11. It's an iterative update over the S10, and uh, Samsung isn't, doesn't try and do too much with it. It's got a more traditional camera, and it is way more successful as a result of not trying to do too much. Um, I really love this phone, and my biggest complaint about it is that I think it costs like 150 or 200 bucks more than I would like it to, because I think that there's a premium you have to pay for 5G, and although I've had a bunch of readers tell me that they've got 5G in their area and they deeply love it, uh, I think the vast majority of people don't benefit from 5G yet and probably won't benefit it 
to it from it until you know the end of the year at best. Oh, I think it's longer than that. I think it's eighteen months. Well, T-Mobile's got it, and it's okay. It's like T-Mobile's doing okay with it, but yeah. I just want to walk through the five, because this part is confusing. We've talked about it before, but I just want to get everybody on the same page. The S20 has mid-band 5G. Yeah, okay. So the S20 supports mid-band. All of them support mid-band. The S20 Plus and the S20 Ultra support millimeter wave, which uh, I have... I've basically stopped being shy about saying that I think millimeter wave is a scam. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, a, like it's you, like a demo. Yeah, yeah, it's a tech demo. You can only use it on like street corners. If you look at the maps, they're ridiculous. If you go to one of the places on, like, say, for example, Verizon's map in New York City, you have to stand there and be looking at the tower. And if you like, you know, do a little shuffle step to the side, it might break down. Um, I. I that millimeter wave will not be really real for three years at best. And even then, I don't I just I don't see it. I don't think it's it's going to happen for consumer phones. It could apply to lots of other things. You could still be doing your, you know, tele remote surgery on 5G with millimeter wave. Sure. Point to point, static, whatever. But for phones, I just I think it's a tech demo. You don't think they'll like deploy it in like stadiums and stuff like that, that kind of stuff where it's like helps handle excess demand? Theoretically, yeah. But like when you actually use it, if you look at it in a stadium, it needs to be there would need to be like 50 of them in a stadium yeah. for it to work. And maybe they'll do that. Uh, but it really is at a point where it's like the only thing that 5G millimeter wave has over Wi-Fi is that you don't have to log in and deal with like Wi-Fi problems. Hmm. Like, what what are Wi-Fi problems? Oh, you mean like when you're out and about? When you're out and about, the networks get saturated. You can't log in. You got to ask for the password. Captive it's portal. A, it's a danger. Captive portal hacking. All that. So five five G millimeter wave gets rid of that. But in terms of like range, I don't see it being that much more useful. And again. I could be proven wrong. I'm almost nervous to say all of this stuff because we've had five years of like hype about 5G. And so somebody somewhere is like, no, he doesn't understand. He's an idiot. It's real. Um, and I will I will happily say I'm an idiot and that I didn't understand when it becomes real. But I don't see that happening for a while. I feel like that's just like a it's like a core element of tech journalism right now is like just looking at the hype and being like, but the thing isn't there. Yeah. Like. You, you can't a, have it. It's not there. You bought a phone, or you didn't buy this one, but you're reviewing a phone that costs 200-ish extra dollars, and it says 5G on the box, and 5G is not helping your experience. Yeah. Basically. But it's like at every level. It's like the, you're going to launch the folding phone, and you're like, well, it broke. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> the folding phone it does fold. It does fold. That's true. The other example that just keeps coming to mind uh, for obvious reasons for me is Foxconn, mm -hmm. where they keep insisting that there's an LCD plant in Wisconsin. Yeah. And like, there isn't. <laughs> and like, it's not, people yell at us when we're like, there isn't a plant. I'm like, it's not my fault. Like, mm -hmm. you should be mad at the people who didn't build an LCD plant. <laughs> Even if I wanted to build an LCD plant, I lack the resources to do so. To be clear, T-Mobile is the one that, the carrier that's super into mid-band. Yeah, T-Mobile's got great, a great mid-band network. Uh, it's not significantly, like, millimeter wave faster, but it 
does tend to be faster in my experience and most testing, but it's not like change the universe faster. But it's a win. It's a win. And I think that if you're on T-Mobile, uh, there's more of a case for it. I think AT&T might be catching up a little bit. But again, like I don't think any of this stuff, we're going to know what's going to shake out in terms of coverage and especially in terms of like backhaul and what your actual like reliable speeds are going to be until mm. more of the network is built out and more people get on the network. Right now, if you're lucky enough to have 5G, it's like you. Like you're the one. I don't know Nobody else has got it, so you got it all to yourself. Hooray! And the network is great. This is the this is a story of early LTE too, right? You would be the first person to get LTE mm. in uh, I don't know, say New York City, and you're like this network is great. And now in 2020, it's like I'm getting four down in AT and T because everyone else in New York City has LTE. And I think part of the promise of 5G is better capacity management. Obviously, they will refarm the LTE spectrum at the appropriate time, so you get even more. And theoretically, this rollout involved more more backhaul. The- theoretically, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's just a lot of promise. But I think to Dieter's point, like you can buy the phone and use the network right now, and it's especially I think on T-Mobile, T-Mobile midband, it is faster, right? It's like significantly faster than an LTE network. But I think that is just like you're alone on an empty highway. But at least that's at least that like you said, it's all about what you actually experience, and if yeah. that's something that you can experience, that's cool. That at least that's possible. Yeah, and if I, if, if mid band, here's my here's my metaphor. Okay, mid band five G is like being alone on an empty highway. Just put the put the hammer down. Mm-hmm. You're gone. And you just want life. Life is a highway. Life is a ride highway. It. <laughs> ride it okay. all night long. Yeah, that's right. You think of five G, and you're like, give me, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, I I love this song. I'm just trying to figure out what what millimeter wave is in this metaphor. The key with your starter me- metaphor is that you don't know where you're going. With it. You just need oh no. Well, no, you distracted me. Life is a highway. You have to know how I feel about life is a highway. I almost started singing. Okay. Uh, so you're on an empty highway. So yeah, mid band is you're alone an empty highway, hammered down, right. life in the distance, everything's good. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's because you know that most of the places you are, you'll get mid-band 5G. Yeah. You can, you, Millimeter like, Wave is the, oh, I got it. Millimeter Wave is the rest stop. You can't move. You have to pull over in your car at the rest stop and go eat at like the, the weird McDonald's at the rest stop that's not quite as good as a regular McDonald's, which, let's be honest, is McDonald's in the first place. I was going to go with Millimeter Wave as a treadmill that's stuck on high. Because you're, you're speeding, but you are yeah. not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's what I was yeah. going for. Okay. Really, really fast, but you're not allowed to move. Right, right. Or like a drag race. You get like a set path. And you're done. Yeah. You live life a quarter mile at a time. That's right. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the, thing that, the thing that undergirds all of this discussion is if you want in 2020 to buy an Android phone that has Qualcomm's best and fastest processors, or at least like their current processors, you have to get 5G. You can't opt out. Yeah, because the Snapdragon 865, and then there's like going to be some 700 series that I'm actually more interested in for reasons we can get into again. Um, doesn't come with a modem; it's not built into the chip, uh, and so it, you have to have a separate modem. And the only modem that's compatible with Qualcomm Snapdragon 865 is a 5G modem. So, like, there. If I wanted to be a conspiracy theorist about like Qualcomm's uh, chip roadmap. Uh, I would say that um, somebody in a carrier gave Qualcomm a, a little money under the table to just be like, you know what, you're only going to offer 5G. And Qualcomm was like, cool, that means we can charge more. And everyone was like, yay. And then the smoke-filled room was filled with handshakes and guffaws. Yes. If they were only going to offer 5G, why'd they make it a separate part? 
lovely, excellent question. Uh, I think that we might be underselling just how difficult it is to build a 5G radio and modem and the antennas and the entire system. Like, it's very complex. It is. You remember the early, the first 4G phones and they were just gigantic and battery hogs and mm -hmm. like completely nuts? Uh, the first 5G phones, the very, very first ones, weren't actually as bad as that. And the second, you know, maybe technically called third generation of 5G phones, now that they're actually mainstream on the S20, um, even unless you're like standing at a millimeter wave street corner, even when I was on 5G mid-band in New York, I didn't see a huge significant difference in battery. I haven't tested this enough to say it definitively, but I think they've done a better job with battery on the initial 5G stuff than they did in the initial 4G stuff. However, that doesn't mean that it's like, you know, it's a piece of easy for them to just make an integrated chip that includes the modem and the, the main processor, right? Like, that's just, that's a hard thing. And like, this is still relatively new. We're, you know, just a few years into consumer products that have got this stuff. So I think it's going to take them more time. Yeah. I think that sort of big takeaway, well, first of all, your smoke-filled room thing, I think, is uh, closer to true than not. That smoke-filled mm -hmm. room usually... Uh, is at MWC in Barcelona. So <laughs> right. like like two years ago, that smoke rolled room absolutely occurred, right? Where maybe there wasn't any smoke in the room. It was just- It was ham. It was, it was just a delicious know. smell of Iberico ham. But like, yeah, <laughs> the carriers sit down with the chip vendors and the phone makers and they plot out their roadmap because the chip maker has to support the networks that are going to get built. And the handset vendors are obviously deeply involved in that sort of conversation. So I do think there's some sort of natural alignment here. I think the other part of it, which is- relates to a thing that we're always talking about is like like Qualcomm doesn't have a competitor. Mm -hmm. So like there isn't there isn't a, uh, I don't know, a TI or somebody being like, we made a chip that's just as fast. It doesn't carry this burden of an integrated modem. Handset maker, do you want to make a phone with the performance is another thing. Like you're basically scooting along Qualcomm's roadmap. But I do think Samsung is like very happy for you to upgrade your phone. So they're not complaining. It doesn't have a competitor a viable competitor to the U.S. There's like MediaTek in the world. Samsung's got its chips. There's Kirin chips and so on and so on. Um, but at least here in the U.S., like it is full on a straight up monopoly, especially on Android phones. It is strange. Yeah, I, I don't know. Actually, there might be an Exynos in like a random Tizen TV. Oh, really? I'm sure someone will fact check. Yes, it is true. Yeah. Like a $400 Tizen TV has like an Exynos in it. That You yeah. know that's not what I meant. Anyway, <laughs> we've like completely sidetracked from the phone. So 5G is yes, there. Sir. The big takeaway is it's just going to be there on a lot of flagship phones yep. now. Great. Yep. Hopefully the network is there to support it. What else about the phone? Uh, Samsung just nailed all the fundamentals. Uh, I was very worried about two things. I was worried about camera, obviously, because the Ultra was, uh, was overextended itself. And I was worried about battery life because this thing has a 120 hertz refresh rate screen. And I am incapable, physically incapable of using a phone that has that option and not turning it on. <laughs> like I would die. <laughs> it's so much nicer and better that if I, if I had the option there and I didn't turn it on, I would literally just melt right there because I would want it on. And in both cases, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, not like totally surprised, because like you want to trust that Samsung knows how to do this by now. And they do. Uh, the camera is a standard 12 megapixel thing. It's got your standard dual pixel autofocus, so it doesn't hunt for focus. Um, the, the sensor, I believe, is a little bit larger than the S10. So it actually overperforms my expectations in low light. Um, it's actually pretty solid and incredibly low light and like completely respectable in standard night mode kind of low light situations. It still smooths faces and I 
was very angry at the S20 Ultra for this. I'm pretty angry at the S20 for this because if you put it in pro mode, all those problems go away. It doesn't overbrighten. It doesn't oversmooth. It's great. Does it still do HDR tricks in pro mode? Not as much. Yeah. I don't think. But this is one of those things where like you could take a thousand photos and not be able to definitively answer that. Like we would need to actually talk to the camera engineer that yeah. knows what it's done, you know. Well, cuz the reason I ask is I know we we talk a lot about the looks of cameras, yeah. right? And the Samsung has its own smooth look in auto mode. But one sort of clear look that I see everywhere now because most of the flagship phones are doing aggressive HDR is when you shoot somebody against a window, it exposes the window and exposes the face. And I, I never see like blown out backgrounds anymore. They're just, they're gone. Like they don't, like only traditional cameras do blown out backgrounds that way because they're not doing HDR. In shots like that, you can really see where Samsung has yet to catch up to Google and maybe even Apple in terms of software processing. Samsung really has solved a lot of its camera stuff with just a bigger sensor, bigger yeah. image sensor. Because especially on HDR backlit photos, you can see that halo. Oh, really? Even even on the S20, that, that little halo is there. I do think in terms of face smoothing and HDR, but especially face smoothing, I think it's slightly better than the Ultra. And I'm sure somebody is going to do some extensive testing and then we're like going to have a debate if I'm wrong on this or not. But in my testing so far, it seems like it's slightly chiller is the word I use. It's just like it's it's less try hard. <laughs> and I think it's because Samsung just needs to do less stuff because I know that the the image sensor on the 108 megapixel in the Ultra is binning on the on the sensor and then just giving Samsung software a 12 megapixel photo, but I still just get the sense that like it just needs to do more crap to process that image than mm -hmm. it does with the more traditional 12 megapixel sensor. This could just be like me projecting all of my feelings about uh, how, you know, big megapixel sensors work, but I am seeing like slightly less annoying results. But bottom line is like I switch it to pro mode as often as I can remember, especially when I'm taking a, fa a picture of a face or if I have a an extra second to do it and I'm like perfectly happy with it. What What is, is there a specific difference that pro mode like enables? Is, there, is it just like turn off the stuff or does it give you manual controls? Like What's it gives store? you a ton of it gives you manual controls over everything. So when you go into Pro Mode, you've got manual control over ISO, you've got manual control over white balance, you've got manual control over the autofocus method, you've got manual control over exposure. Uh, you can change all sorts of other temperature settings and contrast settings as you as you want. Um, you've got manual control over like aperture, like you can do all that. Um, but when you the, when you first go into manual, all of those settings are set to auto. So if you just go into Pro Mode. And then take hit the shutter button all, with all the settings set to auto. It takes a better shot than if you're in proper standard auto mode. And I think that's because when you go into pro mode, it turns off the face filter stuff that don't get that you can't turn off in regular standard auto mode. Like the scene detection goes. Away. Well, the, <laughs> there's three levels to this shit. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Level one, Bixby scene detection. It shows you a picture <laughs> of a... Good night, everybody. That was Verge Cast. It shows you a picture of a dog or a face or a landscape or whatever. And there's a little button and it like tells you what the thinks a scene is. When you take a photo of a face with Bixby scene detector on, white balance goes haywire. Um, and it does more extra smoothing well, and a bunch Bixby's of other stuff. Bixby's just a dog. I don't, how is he supposed to know? <laughs> he doesn't know. Dogs don't even see in color. All right. So you can turn off Bixby and just take standard auto photos, but you still get face smoothing and face lightening in those situations, and there's no setting to turn it off. And I know the setting is there because you can turn it off on the selfie camera. 
So then you go to pro mode, and that seems to be the way to turn off the face smoothing and, and face lightening stuff. Stuff Is turning off face smoothing going to be the next turning off uh, motion smoothing at your, like, on your parents' TV? Well, no, because... Yes. Well, but when you turn off motion smoothing, you just like quietly do it, and they yeah. never know. Like this is like yeah. you need to tell someone to. No. Yeah, yeah like, but, but the reason the reason it is Paul is because there are a bunch of pe- Samsung does it for a reason. And when I show photos to people, until I zoom in and be like, "Look, it looks like it's painted there," they're like, "No, I like this one better." Yeah. So like, a lot of people do like it better. I think it's worse. I think that you are better off getting a more detailed photo that you can adjust if you want to. But if you just want something that's going to look good on a you know five inch screen, uh, you might actually prefer Samsung smoothing. That's what they've optimized for. We have this conversation, I think, every every year, five times a year, every time a new high-end phone comes out with a fancy camera idea, which is most of these photos get taken and then like put on Facebook or Instagram yep. with zero edits. And so there is a huge incentive for the phone makers to just pre-edit the photo for you. And like maybe in Samsung's case, it's like a full-on 1995 fashion magazine edit. <laughs> right? They're like, where did your arm go? Your face is perfect. Like, you're wearing a different color shirt. Like, here we go. Like, and I think there's just like a spectrum of that. Mm. But I, I keep coming back to, and I, I think most of the people who are listening to the show, like just from the feedback is most people would prefer that not to happen. Right. Well, it sounds like a lot of Dieter's concerns could be solved by you. There's like a, a like, one of those, it's like a dot, dot, dot menu. So you have no, no idea what you'll get, but you tap that. Then it says settings. You mm-hmm. tap settings. Then you say, which defaults do you want when you launch the camera app? Yeah. And that seems like it would solve most of your problems because you could set what the camera is when you launch it. And obviously, you can always tweak it for the specific scenario. But what is the camera when you launch it? Someone who cares about it can set it. Someone who doesn't care can have smooth faces. Truly what Samsung needs is another setting screen. This is what I was going to say. It's incredible. We're asking Samsung for more settings, which is like, I never would have imagined a world. Wait, so this, off the camera for once, I think everyone sort of understands what a Samsung camera, we've, we've beaten it to death for, for years, of one decade of Samsung camera understanding. There's another line in your review that really stuck out to me, which was Samsung's software pendulum is swinging back towards mm. messy. And that I don't understand. Like, wh- what what's going on there? Uh, there's just all the stuff that Samsung has ever made is still on this phone. Like, it's still there. And they've just, they got good at, like, burying a bunch of it under settings. And, like, every now and then they'll change the defaults. And you don't, you got to go looking for it because whatever. Uh, but they managed to, like, do a good job of burying stuff in settings and organizing that. And the presentation they gave you in One UI was much cleaner. Um, but it turns out that if you don't, throw your wacky new settings in people's faces, then uh, they don't know it's there, and then you don't get your kickback from McAfee or whatever, which, yeah. by the way, is, like, here, right? Like, you get prompted to, like, turn on virus detection in right. the, like, device care section. It's like, I don't care. Aren't you protected by Knox? Oh, my God. So <laughs> There's a logo on the phone, man. Yeah. And so, like, I wish they would tone that down. I think the pendulum is going to continue to swing in that direction. The... Other problem that Samsung has, and this applies to Bixby, it applies to Samsung Daily, which is the new left of home screen, like feed of content. You know, Google's got it. Apple's is a widget screen, which I prefer or whatever. Um, It also applies to some of their new sharing options. So they have 
a new link sharing option and a new quick share option and a new music share option. In lieu of the share sheet or in addition? No, they're they're in addition to the share sheet. So link share just like you just get free cloud storage to throw up to two gigs a day to like put your shit in the cloud, get a link and give that link to somebody. It's great, actually. I think that's a stupendous service. It only lasts a day. They don't charge you for it. It's just here. There's two gigs in the cloud for free whenever you need it. We'll make a link for whatever you throw up there in a folder. You don't have to like sign up for OneDrive or Dropbox or Google Drive or iCloud or any of that crap. Just your phone has a built-in Throw something in the cloud real quick if you want it. That is awesome. Uh, QuickShare and MusicShare are uh, basically, well, QuickShare is Samsung's version of AirDrop, but it only works with Galaxy phones. Um, and like that and Bixby, like I don't want to begrudge any company trying to build its own ecosystem. You've got Samsung Health and Bixby and blah, and we're like, oh, screw those guys. Why would anybody use them? Ha ha ha. But then in the very next section of the podcast, we complain about Apple and Google being monopolies and like everyone having to use their services. Diversecast. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to begrudge Samsung for trying, but uh, they need to be smarter about the way that they try. Like if you're going to make a new AirDrop competitor, like actually work with Google on it because uh, Google's got one coming or release an app so that it can work for non-Galaxy phones because not everybody has a Galaxy phone. Be the 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 signal or the WhatsApp version of it. Like here we're going to be the most cross-platform and like safe and good I feel like Samsung desperate with that stuff they desperately want to copy Apple's lock-in because of of course like staring at it. Mm-hmm. You're like we want to build a Samsung ecosystem that locks you into only buying Samsung phones, which is fun for two reasons. One, they already have it because people Android buyers only buy Samsung phones. Mm. <laughs> like it's just like a sad fact. So they've all, they've only got like twenty percent market share in the U.S. So iPhone is somewhere around fifty in the U.S. Samsung is twenty, and then the rest is like a smattering of other people. Is is one of the recent numbers I checked for these phones? It's all Samsung. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that's one. Like they want the thing that Apple has. They don't realize that they kind of already have it. But then second, they didn't learn the big lesson from Apple which is like put iTunes on Windows, which is what you're saying. Like they could fill all the gaps in Google's ecosystem if they just distributed widely and became the cross-platform thing and then- Lock in step two. (laughs) Right, and then they just whispered everybody, by the way, this works even better on a Samsung phone. This thing that you we made that you love, well, it works no, even better. You, if you do what hardware. Apple did with iTunes. You put it on Windows, and then you slow, then you abandon it. You <laughs> let it rot. Yeah. You know, and it leads people to come to your. You're platform. like this hog is slowly choking you. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Didn't expect that. You, you own all this music, but it's so hard to listen to. <laughs> uh, and with Bixby, the problem there is they just they they need to they. They had an original vision for Bixby that, that differentiated it from the Google Assistant, and then they immediately abandoned that vision and tried to have it do anything and everything. Mm-hmm. They need to do what Microsoft is doing with Cortana, and they need to do it real fast, which is Cortana went from like, what if we just competed directly with uh, Siri and the Google Assistant and Alexa? And they tried that. It failed. They're like, okay, just kidding. Cortana is the AI for Office. Every, uh, everything else can get handled by the other people that do, do a better job. And Samsung needs to find a way to make Bixby like have a purpose that isn't compete directly with the Google Assistant because it's going to lose every day forever. Yeah, and I that's it's funny that you brought up Siri in that conversation. Like Siri is not beloved. It's just the default, right? And you can install another default and like you can put the Google Assistant app or the Alexa app on your phone and like it's a little more annoying, but Siri's still there. Yep. Just chirping at you every time you move your wrist wrong on your watch. 
this happens to me four times a day. Meanwhile, on Android, you can you can set Alexa or the Google Assistant or Bixby to be your default uh, thing if you want, because you know they let you set defaults oh, on Android. That's great. <laughs> uh, but Microsoft's whole like reason for being is like making you productive. So it kind of makes sense that they're like, okay, we figured out what our assistant can do. It will know this complicated productivity software better than Alexa ever could. What is what does Samsung even view like its users as being like? I would love Who to see that. Who do they deck. think we are? No, so every big company has these like persona decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This it's is like, where Mobile Accomplisher came from. It's where Mobile uh. Accomplisher um, when uh, Microsoft launched the Zune, I think they just like outright no, it was Windows Phone. They just outright yeah. the presentation was their internal decks. Mm-hmm. Right, they're like, this is Rachel. She loves coffee. She owns three dogs and has a red car. This phone is for her. And I was like, that is super weird. And, and then I got all these analysts being like, no, that's actually how they think internally. They make up these characters. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. That's a fine way to, to build a product. Like you imagine your user. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Samsung sticks. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like it so has to be. It can't just be like a picture of like Casey Neistat. Right. Like it's got to be built out. To some extent, you can see it in some of their like really cringy commercials. Like, remember that they did this, uh, they did this Imagine a World commercial with folding phones like three years ago, and it was like a cool hipster dude, uh, business guy in a like a skinny suit at a bar, and he's like sitting there and he like opened his phone up, and then the girl at the end of the bar was like, Oh wow, who's that guy? That photo's amazing. I need to talk to him. <laughs> like, it's that reductive. I think that's how they see it. Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, it's like they, I mean, we know this because they, they more or less tell us they desperately want to be seen as the, the most credible competitor to the flagship Apple product, right? And they're, they tr- and they're trying to leech that market away and they want to be that premium. They are. Well, yes, they are. But like, what do they want most of all is to not just like flex. And I think on the other side, we see it we do see it from Apple that they are deeply aware of the competition, especially in, in the Chinese market. Right? They're deeply aware of what the flagship phones in the Chinese market offer, and they're deeply aware. So like, I think that's all working out. I just think Samsung, like, you cannot force an ecosystem into being. You have to provide utility. That's what I was saying about Cortana. Like, if, you, if the dream is you open Excel and you're looking at, at a, a spreadsheet, and all you say is Cortana, and you need to make a graph out of this, and you don't actually have to know how that function works in Excel and that the bot is going to do it for you, that is amazing. There's no way that Alexa can get there. Right. right? But like to be clear, like Microsoft backed into that idea and hasn't executed on it yet. They only had they had to fail at the first one. And they're like, oh let's do the let's do the other one that makes more sense now. But at least that's like a great idea. Like I yeah. totally buy that idea. And I buy the idea that actually the voice assistant should all talk. So you're like, you're still using Alexa and it knows there's another assistant with a deeper domain that it can go talk to, and you're like, whatever. Bixby is like, what is Bixby's domain? Bixby's domain was supposed to be understanding all of Samsung's settings. That was what it was. <laughs> it was supposed to be the thing that helped you like navigate the phone itself because it was so freaking complicated. Yeah, that and was said, its point. instead you got Bixby scene assistant, which is yes. like, it's blue outside. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is so uh, I want to talk about the score real quick because I read your review and I was like, this is a nine, but you're dinging it a half for the for the software stuff. Dinged it a half for the software stuff. Maybe like, I don't know, two of those points are like uh, camera 
it's face smoothing. It's it's still not up to Pixel in terms of like raw photo quality in a lot of cases, and it's still not up to the iPhone in terms of video quality. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the software stuff, but it's also um, Samsung is only committing to two years of major up. Or, no, sorry, two major updates, which basically amounts to two years of major updates, and then they'll probably do security updates for a little bit longer. And so I ding Samsung for that. They should commit to three. I actually think they should commit to more than three, but I don't know what where to stop. So. Google does three. Uh, Apple doesn't really say, but it nets out, given their history, to like four or five. It's right? like five, It'll, yeah. Well, the iPhone SE might not get 14. I don't know yeah. if it will or not. So like that's that's like three, that's like four and a half or so. So I think that the whole industry could be held to account a little bit better on that. Um, that said, for all of my griping about how the the infrastructure of the way Android updates works is make, is going to make it impossible to ever achieve Apple levels, uh, I still think that's true. The industry has done better in the past year thanks to things like uh, Tango, not Tango, what's the Treble. Treble and mainline. Samsung got their beta out like a month earlier than usual. A bunch of a bunch of updates are coming earlier than usual. And so like it's gotten better by like, I don't know, call it 20%. It still should be way better than it is. But I think the next move is to stop harping on how fast are you getting the updates out and start harping on how long are you going to continue putting updates out. Because again, this thing starts at a thousand bucks and your thousand dollar phone should last more than a couple of years of software updates. Yeah. And I, I think Apple has a the, its service. You know, there's like how much complexity can we get into? But Apple has an entire line of services revenue off the phone, and so like I think they're they're more willing to let you keep the hardware for longer because they're just milking you four nine four ninety nine a month for Apple Arcade or whatever it is. And that's but great. That, I mean, that's great. It's just that's Samsung does plan. not have that line of business. That's huh? their plan going forward. But Apple's been good with the software updates before they had these these services. Yeah, but I, the, you know, the services arc started a couple of years ago, so it, it is true. I'm just saying Apple has put itself in a position very intentionally mm. to say, okay, the upgrade curve is flattened out. We know it. We're happy about it. We're going to charge you for I don't know Apple News Plus. I don't know. They're never going to charge anybody for Apple News Plus. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly like Apple Care <laughs> or the App Store. Like Samsung doesn't operate an App Store that has like tons of whales buying Candy Crush right. and app purchases. And Apple can just depend on that in a way that, that Samsung can't. I do one more sort of meta review thing, which is battery life. Uh, I think it's great. I've seen other reviews saying that expressing a little bit of concern about it, but most of those have been based on like video playdown benchmarks um, and like maybe web page uh, refresh benchmarks. Uh, in actual use, I haven't had a problem. I suspect there are people that are able to push a phone a little bit harder and have worse battery life and not and actually be a little bit more concerned about it. But one of the reasons I'm not concerned, even on the smallest one, is there are so many ways to uh, turn down battery usage on this phone. You can turn off the high refresh rate. You can lower the resolution. Samsung actually has a ton of battery options that are actually like not bad. Uh, and so even, even if you find that you are not getting through a full day, which I don't think would happen to you, but even if you are, there's plenty of options to get through a full day that don't radically degrade your experience of the phone. And so I am overall pretty pleased with battery life. I mean, that is... Surprising and wonderful. I, I was expecting this phone to just destroy its battery. I don't really know why. I mean, I, it, Samsung has to know that that's unacceptable, but 
Well, it's because it, you're locked at 120 hertz. It's not the, it, they don't try and like adjust it based on what you're doing. It's just, uh, it's, screw you, we're 120 hertz now, bam. Um, but they, they ratchet down the screen resolution when you do that. But yeah, it's like it was like a thing that I was worried about. And again, there are going to be other reviews out there that are, that are like, no, the battery life is, is not acceptable on the small one. But I I think that for most people, especially by the small one, you're going to be fine. And if you're not, you can adjust it so you are. And for the Plus and the Ultra, you're definitely going to be fine. You're saying this is the best Android phone and might might be the best Android phone of its generation. Well, I'm saying it's the best Android phone right now at this moment on March 12th, 2020. But I'm also saying that for the subsequent phones that come out that are going to have the same processor, are going to have a higher refresh rate screen, going to have like compete on camera, blah, 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 blah. Uh, this is the bar they have to meet. And this bar is actually surprisingly hard to meet, like especially when you look at like fit, finish, build quality, the whole package. Um, it's going to be a tough. It's going to be tough. So I'm not saying it's the best phone of 2020, but it is the best phone of March 2020. It's a it's a good narrow. I like it. You really really left that door open. If I had to bet money, I would say that there's better than even chance that I, this phone will continue to be the best Android phone if you don't include the cost of it uh, for the next six months for sure. Uh, I could be wrong. Like there's lots of there's lots of things that are coming, um, but I'm very impressed with this phone. Cool. All right, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back. We actually have some Apple rumors to talk about. Should lead us right to the next thing. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Okay. It seems like Apple software is out in the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just based on the number of leaks, um, it seems like watchOS 7, iOS 14 are out. There's some MacBook rumors. Let's start with the watch. Dieter, what is going on with watchOS 7? So there are apparently going to be international watch faces. There's always new watch faces. Fine. You're going to be able to share watch faces. So you can be like, I made this watch face. Do you want it? And I'll be like, yeah, I do. And then I'll send it to you. Uh, but it'll be the watch face that you configure, not like... You make your own watch face. Not the probably. thing people want. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong, but that's kind of what we're expecting. What I would expect. Um, and then for me, there's also like might be able to detect oxygen blood level. Could be important. Depends on how reliable it is. What they actually do with that. Um, to me, the interesting one is sleep tracking. Um, I use my Apple Watch for sleep tracking right now. I use it as an alarm clock right now. It's my favorite alarm clock. And I have mixed feelings about that. I'm glad they're doing it. I'm sure they'll do it in a way that it feels like more integrated and nicer. But, you know, like I, I like my little Sleep Plus Plus app. And I would like to see the current sleep apps on the Apple Watch have equal access to continue to succeed uh, when the new sleep thing comes out. That won't happen. But that's my mixed feeling. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that they are now at a very difficult place with the watch 
because the they have their always on screen. The screen got bigger. I was not persuaded to go from my fourth gen watch to the fifth gen because the always on screen just wasn't. Um, it seems really cool, but it wasn't enough to get me to spend the money. You could add sleep tracking and more health features, and I'm still kind of like, but this one's fine. Like it shows me notifications, and I have the app that does my two factor codes. That those are the things I use the watch for. That seems like they've hit that point where they're actually going to sell more because like the fourth gen watch will get cheaper or whatever. Like they're they're going to do their pricing curve, but the high end of the watch is sort of like these are very iterative features in a way that I think always on screen was like drove a lot of people to upgrade. Maybe not me, but a lot of people upgraded because they always on screen. Yeah. I think that a lot of people also upgraded because the the third generation watch got so cheap. Um, I think the Apple Watch, the big there's there's like questions in tech that get asked every year, and after a while you're just like, oh god, stop it! Like, will Android and Chrome OS merge? Oh god, stop it! Who knows? <laughs> uh, and for the Apple Watch, it's will they try and make it independent from the iPhone in some way? And maybe. But maybe that's like not thinking about it right. You know, my personal desire is to have the Apple Watch work with more than one iPhone at a time so I could switch to my little iPhone SE every now and then. That's like very much a first world problem. Nobody actually needs that. Um, but like, could the Apple Watch uh, have a uh, iTunes on Windows moment by making it able to be set up and do things on its own paired to an Android phone or not paired to a phone at all? I don't know what that looks like, uh, but... It's been people have been talking about it literally since the first one, and I have yet to see anybody sort of elucidate a product need for that thing that like fully explains what it is that doesn't just seem like a lame Kickstarter, right? And so that would be the next like unlock, sell hundreds of millions more than they did before moment for the Apple Watch, but I don't know like what they could do. What you know? What benefit if it would actually work? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think there's a there's not like a tech or product feature benefit. There's a very obvious business benefit, which is as you are very fond of reminding people, um, there are more Android phones in the world than anything else. <laughs> yep. uh, like just just like gaze at the world and be like, well, all of those people we will never sell this product to is a, is just a miss, like an obvious miss, and like. If you look at the success of another um, Apple product, like AirPods, like AirPods, same deal. It works better with an iPhone because of its proprietary stack, blah, blah, blah. But you could just sell, you can just, they just sell them to Android phone owners too, and they just Bluetooth headphones. The watch obviously is way more tied to the ecosystem. It's obviously an extension of the phone. But at some point, you're going to max out the sort of like attach rate of iPhone owners to a watch. And then the watch doesn't generate revenue over time. So you sell a third gen watch to someone. You sold it once, like they're going to hold it for quite a while, even if they get new phones, whatever. And that's probably fine. Like Apple make, makes a lot of money. I'm assuming they. Do you think Apple does all of its like financial modeling in numbers? <laughs> uh, what? You know, like their own the bad spreadsheet, spreadsheet app. <laughs> I thought you meant like numbers. I'm like, yeah, they use numbers, Neil. <laughs> Symbolic they're not logic. Using, they're, yeah, no, numbers. I meant the consumer grade, the never updated consumer grade spreadsheet that ships on the iPad. There, are, look, there are these Excel spreadsheets all over Apple. I'm sure, and I'm actually uh-huh. sure they use Excel and not numbers. But I, that's like the question is like, can you, what, where have you maxed out your sales to iPhone owners? Like, what percentage of iPhone owners ever are going to buy a watch? 
once you get close to that number, you have to open a new market, and that market is Android phone owners. It's like very obvious. Or are you just happy keeping people locked in? Because once you sell them a watch, you've guaranteed another iPhone sale. Speaking of ongoing revenue, the, there's another rumor that Apple's going to do. There's this thing called Seymour. It's like some sort of fitness yes. video thing that does seem to tie in with the watch. Like the watch can tell what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it's like Peloton, but on a phone. That's I've heard it described like that, but then I read the d- actual description. I was like, this sounds nothing like Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a little coach that's like you're on your treadmill or your bike. Yeah, and it's the whole, like isn't the whole point of Peloton – I've never used Peloton. Isn't the whole point of Peloton that you have a live coach, like a real person? Yes, a, live, a real you? person that yells at you. That's the point of Peloton, yeah. And like music that's like licensed music and stuff? Yeah, but like the, some of them are live and some of them are pre-recorded. Right. Okay. All right. That's like Peloton is like what they've done is they've glued a tablet to a treadmill and like this costs seven thousand dollars. That's right. Um, great. Um, but you can like go out and get the. Uh, it is by the way. It's, 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 like, know, it's a big cool. patent case. Oh, there. Yeah. That was that was a fun one. Um, but like you can go out and get the app and use it with a regular treadmill. So I think Apple's basically building that tied into its watch for the health tracking. So that could be some ongoing revenue. That for becomes the, the hot, around the watch, the hot new thing to do. Yeah. Sure. I just think that the you can do that and you can extract a couple dollars from your existing base, which is Apple scales like millions of dollars. But overall your sales are there's a point at which they cap out, right? Which is some fraction of the iPhone installed base. Right. You're just being stubborn to not sell it to Android. Yeah. Or you've calculated that once you sell somebody a watch, you have guaranteed an iPhone upgrade. That they're not gonna switch platforms. Mm. Yeah. And that might just be totally worth it to you. I think that's the I think that's the answer. And I, I really and do. That, that is like the Apple thing. Like I don't even begrudge them for it. I begrudge Apple for a lot of lock-in things, but you made a great hardware product that works with your thing and it inspires people to buy to stay in your ecosystem is like you can't, you yep. know, how, you, how mad can you get? You, yeah. I'm mad at them for not letting them for not letting anyone else build a watch that works with the phone in terms of messages or notifications like I think a little competition would be good, but then you look at the state of competition where you can do that on Android, and it's like, well, who would even who would even yeah. show up? <laughs> yeah, like who, who cares about this? Like, uh, Fossil is going to make a great smartwatch that connects to the iPhone. Like, sure. Like, so I I think the watch is like one of those where all of my normal complaints about Apple's lock-in are con- they're just kind of like exploded by the state of the market, right? Like. It's not like there's a great Android smartwatch, so I'm like, oh, I wish I could just use it with my iPhone. And that is a bigger market. And so, like, I don't know. Like, there's just, it's like one of those where reality, just like my bubble of idealistic, capitalistic competition is like, well, the competitors suck. <laughs> like, what am I missing <laughs> out on here? Okay, so that's the watch. I, I, do, I do think this generation watch will be very interesting, right? Like, if they just iterate on the health stuff and they don't do, like, there are some rumors that they were going to change the way apps work on this one. Right, they were gonna be more native. There's some rumors about ways developers could could like more independently run the apps. But like, doesn't this doesn't this generation feel like the pure iterative generation? I think so. Uh, if they do give more access to third party apps to do a little bit more stuff, like I would appreciate that. I still think that uh, Spotify and the Apple Watch is not where it could be, and I think that there's like Spotify wants to be where it could be there and just isn't quite able to get there. So I'd like to see that, and maybe there's some real pressure on Apple to let them do that. So that could be fun. But um, I think you should expect an iterative update for the Apple Watch yeah. this year. Yeah, It seems like iOS 14 is a much bigger update, though, overall, especially on the iPad side of things. 
Well, on the iPad side of things, who knows what the hell is going on? So Craig Figueredi and a stock call was like, if you like what we were doing so far, just wait. And all <laughs> of the Apple blogosphere is mad, like came to the realization that uh, that the iPad multitasking windowing system is confusing, which is like, y'all, I've been saying. <laughs> um, and now there's like, there's there's a rumor of the trackpad and, um, you know, mouse support. They're going to do support. a case with a trackpad and real mouse support for the iPad. Right. Um, and so what does that mean? Like, what what are you going to be able to do with that trackpad? Are you going to be able to scroll? Well, sure. Are you going to be able to go to multitasking view? Sure. Are you going to be able to drag windows around? I don't know. Are you going to be able to type? Yes. Are you going to be able to like, text select? Like, use, like, just start going on the list of things you do with the mouse. We've talked about this. And I don't know where they're going to stop because at the end of that list is you've made a Mac and they can't go that far. Well, so this this is the other rumor this week. This is why I wanted to talk about this in particular. I mean, like, there's... A, just to say, like, the other iOS stuff is, like, there'll be a list view for apps on the phone, which will be cool because then you'll be able to find your apps on the phone. <laughs> and you can already see that list view on the watch. So I imagine it'll, it'll look a lot like that. There's a hint of new over-ear headphones, which if if you're the one person in the world who cares about the drama between the Apple headphones team and the Beats headphones team, get ready. <laughs> um, your, your life is going to be interesting. But the main one is there's a, the rumor that there'll be an ARM Mac by sort of like the end of the year. And if you're going to do an ARM Mac on one side and an iPad with a, a trackpad on the other side, like that is that seems like a very hard definitional problem. Well, and it's a hard definitional problem that Apple has tried to brute force its way through for the past three or four years. This is, again, one of those like perennial questions in tech like Android and Chrome merging that uh, is like annoying but real, right? What are they going to do about the difference between an iPad and a Mac? What are they going to do about the fact that the iPad still like hits a wall that you can't get past and the Mac just doesn't have a touchscreen and is like sometimes weirdly complicated in its own way like the, as they get closer together the desire for people to help have them differentiate them more clearly is going to get even stronger so there's a way of thinking of the ipad where it's like it's a tablet when it doesn't have a keyboard connected to it and then you connect a keyboard that also has a touchpad now in this wild new future and it now it's more laptopy and so I'm wondering, are there? It's like a that's like a flat plane that you touch, like a uh, like a surface. Mm. <laughs> well, I, the thing I was thinking, obviously Microsoft has been doing some stuff for a while where it's like, okay, this is a more of a touch mode, this is more of a desktop mode. But I'm thinking, what, what, what which what was the? Was it Pixel Go? What was the tablet? The Pixelbook Go. Pixelbook Go. Yeah. Are there are there any cautionary tales? No, wait, you're thinking of the Pixel C. I'm thinking no, of the- he's thinking of the Pixelbook Go. Okay. Or not the Pixelbook Go, the Pixel the Pixel Slate. Oh, the, gosh. The <laughs> None of yeah. these worked. <laughs> Google made Whatever, a, Whichever Google tablet you were thinking Google of. Google made a product that was a little bit more of a Chromebook when it was docked, and it was more of a touchscreen tablet when it wasn't docked. Like, are, are, it, it, is that a fundamentally hard problem, or is it just a problem that's crying out for Apple to try to do it? I would leave... Uh, Google's attempt to turn the Chromebook into a tablet out of it, because the less that's said about that, the better for everybody. <laughs> um, and I would I would look more at the surface. The the fact that uh, Microsoft tried to have, they, I mean, Windows 8 was Windows 8, uh, and then they, they tried to like have tablet mode versus windowed mode. And uh, I think 
even if people are using it as a tablet, I think the vast majority of people don't bother with tablet mode. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, the data is something different. Never but bother. The, it. It's the the hassle of switching between those two modes is like it's actually pretty annoying because when you go back to Windows, everything is like in weird spots. And I think that Apple fundamentally. The idea that they would make an iPad that has like a pro mode with windowing and a non-pro mode as a tablet, that there'd be two different, completely different ways of interacting with it. I mean, that's just anathema to them. They they won't even let us rearrange icons on the home screen so that they don't flow from upper left to bottom right. Do you think that they would ever allow like two different, completely different modes of interacting? Freeform windowing. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. I mean, look, Apple has this, by the way, I'm looking at Dieter's Pixel C review from 2015. No, from 20. It is brutal. (laughs) Here's the first line of this review. A funny thing happened on the way to inventing the future of touchscreen computing. Everyone is botching it. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the first line. (laughs) So like, like in my mind, I would have a very clear reason to pick uh, this future iPad that has an optional keyboard cover that includes a touchpad and our MacBook Pro. Or, or, sorry, it wouldn't be a MacBook Pro probably yet. It'd be the MacBook or MacBook Air or whatever. Like, I would get that the, our MacBook for coding and I would get the new iPad for the music yeah. and drawing and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm actually less, like, interested. We'll see what they do with the iPad. They'll figure it out. I'm less worried about, like, iPad versus Mac and can they get that definition clearer by the end of the year when the RMAC comes out than I am that it seems clear that they're going to release a scissor switch uh, MacBook Air and MacBook Pro in the near future. At least I'm hoping they are. But when's the last time that Apple's released a MacBook laptop and you knew in the back of your mind that like something that was completely different and probably better was coming in the next like six to eight months. Usually it's like they're not going to update this for like three years. Yeah. So. yeah. And better is like better is unclear because who knows how the ARM stuff is going to turn out. But yeah. No, but I have a theory on this. I think they're pretty wedded to Intel processors for better or worse, or at least x86, right? Like they to manage a transition at scale is very hard from Intel to ARM. They're going to try to do it. The best way for them to do it is to not try to just, like, boil the ocean. So I think, okay, we're putting out a new MacBook Air with a better keyboard. That's, like, all the more that people want, like, honestly, from a MacBook Air. Like, the keyboard doesn't break. It's a MacBook Air. Great. You're going to buy it. You're going to go to college. You're going to be great (laughs) as you study from home because of the pandemic. A MacBook Pro... You, you actually need a little bit more horsepower. That's why you're upgrading to that model. It's got a reliable keyboard. You're good to go. Like, they're stuck with x86 there. And even with x86, like, what do we keep saying? Like, Adobe is not optimized for Apple's version of x86, right? Like, there's just a lot of work to do on that side of the house. Then there's, like, the ultra-portable zone, like the old MacBook, the 12-inch MacBook, like one of my favorite computers ever, they haven't had anything in that category since 2017. And you can definitely put an ARM chip in there and be like, look, this is going to be slow when it's emulating Photoshop. But it was already slow because of this dumb Intel processor we're using. Like, you've lost nothing. You've gained an enormous amount of, like, battery life. You've gained an enormous amount of, like, other performance benefits because we made the chip for the thing. So in this, con- in this constrained envelope of performance, this product is better. And it might have, like, built-in LTE because Apple makes those chips. Like... There's all this stuff they can do with a Mac once they move it to ARM in that way that they don't want to do with Intel. The problem is 
and I think this is like a really tough problem for them. What are people going to want to do on that computer? They're going to want to run Chrome. They're going to want to run Electron apps. And that thing is going to just like, they, Apple's ARM architecture has never had to deal with that. Well, right? my- the iPhone and the iPad have never had to deal with Chrome because Apple won't let them. So if you build a Mac with an ARM processor, all of a sudden and then someone tries to run Chrome built for x86 emulated ARM, like maybe this battery doesn't last very long well, at all. Microsoft, Microsoft <laughs> got Chromium running on, on their ARM processor. Because they switched their entire browser stack to Chromium mm-hmm. and then built their own browser. Yeah, but the Chromium has got like ARM. There's like there's an ARM version of Chrome, Chromium out there, and eventually Chrome will support ARM natively. But that's on Windows. Who knows about Mac? I've run so Visual Studio Code, which is made by Microsoft and based on Electron, so based on Chromium, I have run that in Crostini on a Chromebook. Yeah. Do the lights dim when you try to it I think there's an ARM version. I'm pretty sure there's an ARM version of VS Code. I don't know. I don't think that sounds ridiculous. The thing is, what you're describing is sort of the playing it safe way of like how Microsoft does it. Like, hey, let's dabble in, in this world. And everybody hates it. We'll we'll pretend it never happened, you know. Microsoft, or Apple likes to show up like, this is your life now. <laughs> you better learn how to like but it. How, how do you ship? How are you shipping fifty four thousand dollars Mac Pros as Xeon processors and saying we're doing an, uh, process, an architecture shift? Well, if you if 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 you can, I, I I don't know that they would truly do it top to bottom. Yeah. But I think it is very conceivable that Apple could have. So right now. There's like some server processors coming out, like 80 core ARM processors that are like basically possibly the best thing you can get. And so like if you give a a lot of power to a chip designer with ARM, they can make something super competitive. So if Apple has decided to go all in on ARM, they could have a very competitive MacBook Pro processor, MacBook Air processor, MacBook processor. Like they could have the whole lineup if they wanted to. And obviously, people have been talking about for a while that the iPad feels way faster than like low-level MacBooks uh, in those like basic apps. So it seems it seems very plausible to me that Apple could could just force like like do a shift and like in like one or two years have nearly every Mac. On ARM, if they really wanted to, but you know, they they I'm sure they know better the roadmap. I mean, you know, I, I feel like they're leaving stuff on the table by not having AMD in the Mac Pro. So like, you know, it, it it would it would require a will, but I just feel like Apple's way of approaching these things is is going all in. Like I feel like it's not very Apple like to split split the baby and have x86 Macs and ARM Macs on an ongoing basis. Yeah, I I buy that argument too, right? Like. Eventually, what they want is to live on one processor architecture. At the same time, right this second, they live on two, right? They live on the Intel one, and they live on the ARM one, and they're building Catalyst to bridge the gap. I think I don't think that's like a Microsoft playing it safe. I think that's like a the high-end ARM performance server stuff is totally unproven. So if it happens, it happens. But I, Amazon makes is on its second generation ARM ARM chip. Like it seems like it's winning, it's winning. But Amazon is designing it for its AWS, right? Like, right. That makes sense. Apple's using those server class chips to run Photoshop in Final Cut. 
Are you talking on the Mac Pro? Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying yeah, like okay. they're spe- like they're they're repurposing a server chip for whatever they're doing. Sure, sure. For better or worse, that's what they're doing. And sort of in the mid zone, I think you could see ARM conquest that really fast. Mm-hmm. But they got to ship one, and the co- the known compromises of shipping the first one are like very obvious, right? Like you, if this 16 inch MacBook Pro in front of me, if they shipped it tomorrow with a high end unproven ARM chip, that entire review would be like, this app didn't work, yeah. this app didn't work, that app didn't work. I see what you're saying. So they, 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 I think they need, and that's how they manage the, the PowerPC to Intel transition, right? Low they, end up? They, the first one they shipped was an iMac. Well, there was a developer unit that was a tower. Okay. But then the first one they shipped was uh, the MacBook Pro, like a 15-inch MacBook Pro and an iMac. And that, that, those were the first two. And they were like, we'll see how it goes. And then like within a year, they'd transition the rest of the line. But they, they just did the two models first. I think with ARM, you could, what, what do you get out of ARM most of all is battery. That's, that's at least what I perceive. Well, but that's the thing. It's, it, battery life is the same thing as performance because if you want to do one block of work, right, and it, it requires 400 watts to do that or it requires 25 watts to do that same amount of work, you could conceive of that as battery life or you could conceive of that as performance because it's like a performance per watt which is obviously what server people are, are looking at, but also just in the desktop, how much can you cool this processor? How, yeah. how powerful is your power supply? I just want a 12-inch Mac. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I really <laughs> just give me the thing I want. Okay. Like, Intel's <laughs> never going to make that chip. Apple's going to make that chip. <laughs> make... Uh, Intel's been trying to make that chip for so long. <laughs> it's going to happen one day. All right. We're going to take a break and wrap this thing up. Paul Miller. Yo. I got to say, this segment has not been doing a good job of holding America together. <laughs> <laughs> like, Come on, Paul. Like, everybody's at home with their families <laughs> like, right now. If I had to be really honest, I would say <laughs> your segment has torn America apart. <laughs> well, I think, I think I'm going to turn it around because this week, like every week, the segment is called Take Me to Your Metaverse, Mr. Sweeney. Oh, wow. Uh, Tim Sweeney, has, um, who is the CEO of Epic Games, which makes Fortnite and also the Unreal Engine, and the Epic Games Store. He's very outspoken, and he is really going off on this metaverse idea. I don't even know if The Verge covered this, because it's like, he's been talking about metaverse for a while, uh, but he was on this podcast I was listening to. I just really like the the term metaverse for a way of thinking of, like, connecting all your social experiences. The, The thing he's thinking about is this idea of, you know, you're playing Fortnite with your friends, right? Now, that same friend group wants to play a Steam game. Do you have to hang up on your Fortnite call and then communicate through Steam and then hang up on that call? And then, you know, obviously a lot of people use Discord to maintain this communication. Or if you're on a console, you know, you might be using the console social, you know. uh, Yeah stuff to keep you together. But this idea of of some sort of interoperability and it's cool cuz it sounds he's obviously in a position to work on this and he's really into it and it sounds like he's maybe making some headway like maybe you'll be able to like keep your party together jumping from Fortnite to like a Ubisoft game or something like that. So, I don't know, it's it's interesting but what it made me think about is my current chat situation. Uh-uh. And I realized in a single day I used Discord Slack, Signal, Zulip, iMessage, Zulip. 
What the hell is Zulip? Zulip is amazing. It'll change your life. It's really the okay. best thing on this list. I'm looking at Zulip. All right. Um, is it spelled like Tulip? Yes, with a Z. Discord, Slack, Signal, Zulip, iMessage, Twitter DMs, Instagram DMs, and regular SMS. I used all of those things to communicate in one day. And also, I also use sometimes, but not always, I, there's uh, Matrix, uh, which is like open source peer-to-peer ch- federated chat stuff. Um, Telegram, LinkedIn, uh, and Keybase. And I just feel like <laughs> feel like it's too many. And, I, and there's no way to pair, pair back because none of them talk to each, each other. Um, Matrix bridges to IRC. So. <laughs> I'm just looking at Zulip, and it seems like it's Slack with threads. Yeah, Zulip is all about threads and topics. And so you in, you don't have that thing where people you have you're in a room and two people are having two different yeah, yeah. conversations. It's all about creating a new topic per thing. Absolutely love it. Are you are you shilling for Zulu? Is this I'm shilling for Zulu. Right no, but I'm just saying this <laughs> chat situation is ridiculous. <laughs> I well, speaking of electron apps, like a lot of these are electron apps. I've got like five <laughs> electron apps open. That's the dream. Just to just to do basic communications. A funny thing happened on the way to the future of computing. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's botching it. It's awful. <laughs> so, Tim Sweeney, take I, me to you. The thing about Tim Sweeney in particular is, like, dude knows he's got the leverage because of Fortnite. And oh, yeah. He is, with that leverage, he's actively trying to make, like, the world more competitive. And I think that's extremely cool. Mm. Yeah, no, he does so many wonderful things with his Fortnite bucks. Yeah. Also, he does these, like, paid exclusives. Like the epic, to, to get the Epic Games Store off the off yeah. the ground, they spent a ton of money and they pissed a lot of people off who just want to play everything on Steam because that's where they are. That's that's yeah. their corner of the metaverse. I don't know. I f- I feel like he talks really high minded when it helps him, but also he's done so many good things that I can't so he's can't a, fault he's, him. He's a CEO. <laughs> he's a CEO <laughs> of a big company. <laughs> Surprising. No, but I I think that like I I get why people are mad about paid exclusives, but I think that. That natural. This is like YouTube. Like you and I are like tweeting about like YouTube today. Like mm-hmm. everyone wants everything to be on YouTube, and then YouTube has all the power, and YouTube screws everybody over. Mm-hmm. If you just had like Fortnite money, and you're like, I'm build a competitor to YouTube by paying a lot of people to be here, the first thing people would complain about is like, I just want my stuff on YouTube. And so I think you have to accept that pain well, to like build the competitor, my, which is what he's doing. My playbook for creating. A, I've I've had this on the the podcast before. You, you spend a billion dollars to create. A, a, a YouTube competitor, you pay people, the, you match what they're already earning on YouTube, and you don't require them to take it off YouTube. I think that's the key. You create incredible amount of goodwill, and you get all the content. So you have the same amount of content, and so then then you just have to compete on being better. And so and I hope you were trying to be better in the first place. And so if you can do that, you spend a billion dollars, but I think you're pretty far to having a YouTube competitor. Yeah. Or you could just turn the screws ever tighter <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and just win. <laughs> All right. Uh, a few more things to wrap up here. Dieter, there's some pixel leaks in the world. You, you were like, people are mad about the 4A. Well, people are mad at me about the 4A because I suggested that I thought that 399 was um, higher than I was hoping. I recognize that that is the price it would, was expected to be, and I recognize that it's a reasonable price, especially given the camera and the processor that is rumored for it, and the fact that they've gone for a, a sort of a notchless hole-punch display. 
Um, nevertheless, I still pine for the days of the Nexus phones that cost like 350 And last year, we saw a lot of incredibly good Android phones that came in at that 299 350 mark. Um, on the flip side, if Google had actually priced it that aggressively, assuming they do, given the rumors, um, or, you know what I mean, um, we'd be complaining about them using their market power to steal market share. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> it's funny that you say the camera, right? Because the camera, in its way, is not costly for Google. It's costly on the R&D side. It's costly in terms of software engineering. But the actual part is not costly. And I wonder no- what would happen if Google actually tried to distribute that technology and build it into Android. You know, there's Gcam in the world for all sorts of different phones. It's sort of a pain to configure, uh, but like the community makes it work. XDA developers make it work. What would happen if they just were like, you know what? We want all 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 Android phones to have really good cameras. Uh, everybody can just use this now. I wonder. Uh, they would never sell another Pixel again. <laughs> I mean, probably. I don't know. I've, I... I believe in this goodwill aspect. I feel like you. <laughs> when did you become like happy idealist? I know I don't believe that companies <laughs> act this way. I'm saying that I feel like they could get a long way by, yeah, by acting this way. Why does anybody not spit when they hear the word Microsoft? Because they've they've done a lot of idealistic things with open source, and yeah, sure, maybe they've sort of taken over Linux from within and now they're dominating as a corporate sponsor. Sure. Maybe you go to work by getting your job on LinkedIn and you show up at work and use the office suite on your Windows computer and then file to GitHub. That's not a good way. That's not a recipe for good And you go home and you use your Xbox. Uh, But they they like you. You are not wrong. We just did that tech survey. Microsoft is like beloved again. Mm -hmm. It's because they're like friendly. But they also don't like they're not trying to extract, extract consumer revenue except on Xbox. Mm. I think that's like a big part of it. Like they're just like a happy, friendly giant that makes Windows. Going back to the Pixel, I do want to point out that it's not as easy as we might think for Google to just be like, sure, everyone can have the Pixel camera algorithms because uh, the way that the camera stuff works on Android phones is so, 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 so fragmented. Um, it's not, they can't, like, not everyone would just be able to plug and play that stuff. Yeah. Um, like Moment, for example, bailed on their Android app. They, you cannot buy get an uh, Android app for moment lenses. You you have to like use a third party app. Some of them will do the correction, or you got to do the correction on your own uh, for the you know the lens distortion. I feel like I don't know all the the nuts and bolts, but imagine like maybe there's like some machine learning model that Google could release, and so like here's how to here's how to tune the app to your sensor using this these machinations. Yeah, in the bring up of the phone, the manufacturers could probably use Google's code. Sure. But, but that's obviously we're, we're asking a lot of Google. Yeah, and I think they really want the Pixel to be a success, whether or not it actually is a success. I, I, I My read on the 4A is that it's probably a more interesting phone than the 4. Well, and so that bodes ill for the Pixel 5, right? Like, the Pixel 4, like, I have this whole rant where, like, Google needs to commit to the high end or bail on it, right? The, they either need to, like, take on the Galaxy S20 at the high end, make the phone that genuinely feels like a thousand bucks instead of just costing a thousand bucks. And uh, the Pixel 4 was supposed to be it. It's got the high refresh rate screen. It's got the face unlock. And it just like it didn't quite get there. Uh, And so if they're not going to get there with the Pixel 5, then they'll release another Pixel 5 and everyone will be like, cool, wait for the 5A. That's what's going to happen to them this year if they're not very careful. 
Yeah, and I do you, was it, the four has not been a success. I, like they're not. I don't think they're in a mode where they have to worry about sales. Like they just have to like get a hit. They got to get a hit, and the three A is doing pretty darn well. But look, when when they started this hardware division, I like got in a room with Rick Osterlo and said, when do you have to be successful? I got, uh, I took a walk around Google's campus with Sundar Pichai and said, what's your timeline for making money on hardware? And the answer was the standard answer in all of tech, five years. Well, guess what? The Pixel 5 is five years. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for the Pixel 5 launch event. (laughs) Dieter with his arms crossed in the back of the room. (laughs) Speaking of, there's another big Google story. Uh, This is from Protocol. Uh, Yango Ruckers wrote a great story. It's a TV story, so I'm like ready to go. We've been at it for an hour. You ready to go for another hour? I rant about TV operating systems. Uh, But there's a deep relationship to how Google ran Android here, which I think is really interesting. So if basically uh, Yanko's story was, if you are a Google TV licensee, and there's actually more than you think, because, yep, it's Sony makes Android TVs, um, but there's a bunch of cable boxes and stuff. If you have a license to Android for TVs, and even in some case for mobile, you are not allowed to use forks of Android in any other product, which includes Fire TV, because Fire TV is an Android uh. fork. So there's all these companies that would like to make Fire TVs. But because they want to use Android in other places, Google will not let them. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think on the one read, I have many reactions. Here's my first one. Somewhere inside Roku, there's a guy who's like, this would be so much easier if we just built this on Android. Because, like, we're, oh, we're doing all this crap with our OS. That we just let Android handle it. And everybody else is like, no! <laughs> and this is why. Maybe. I mean, I think Roku's pretty happy owning their stack, right? It's still, like, Linux. It's And it's it's built to where it needs to go. I don't think they have, like aspirations to make a phone. Certainly don't have aspirations to make beautiful apps. Like That's not a thing that they care about. <laughs> um, but like they're dominant. So it's like this is this like heated battle for like second place at best. Samsung uses Tizen and they want Tizen. Like they, Samsung is a dominant TV, TV vendor. They want Tizen to be a meaningful hedge against Android. That's important to them. And so that Building it out for TV lets them recoup their investment in Tizen development. So, like, Samsung's never going to switch. Like, they're on Tizen. Who's left? Well, Sony's already on Android. Uh, You could get – I'm sure Vizio is like, well, we made this huge weird bet on Chromecast. Like, they could just switch to Android. It's probably – it would be a lot easier than going to Fire. Isn't there a rumor that Google's switching to Android with Chromecast? There's a Chromecast Ultra that's going to run Android TV. Yeah, and then it's going to have a remote. So, but it's like Google. Like Google's not going to ship a Fire TV box. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so like who like who is like meaningful to us? It's like LG. Like LG is the prize here, and then like whatever like house brands, Insignia, Element, whatever. But the last huge prize in this market of the biggest vendors, it's Vizio, Sony, LG. Right? Those are the big TV vendors. LG has like WebOS. I was going to say, this whole thing, you don't want to talk about Fire TV. You just want to troll me into talking about WebOS. Saying, this is just a long-ass walk-up to make me mad about WebOS. I got you. I didn't realize you were already going to be so mad about the Pixel. Now it's like the nuclear inferno. But like that's it. that's got to be like the, the battle here is LG is like, oh, this didn't work. No one wants to build a 15th app for our weird platform with Beanbird. Like, we would like to do a riff on Android TV, or we'd like to do a riff on Fire, because Fire is dominant, and they can't because they make Android phones. Yep. That's got to be it. 
TCL also is in this mix. So t- a lot of TCL phones get sold. TCLs on Roku, so they're not. Yeah, well, maybe they would want to be on Fire TV too. You don't know. But maybe, maybe they, they want to bail on Roku. Uh, well, yeah, I wonder. I mean, like they're doing so well making Roku TVs. Amazon would be happy to subsidize all sorts of TV makers to get Fire TV more market share. Yeah. Are you kidding? They would love to do that. Yeah, but uh, TCL is like uh, those are the big three, right? Uh, in terms of sales, it's uh, Vizio, Sony, LG, and then TCLs coming up, but they're coming up because of Roku. Because they're the high-end Roku TV. And they're going to do an OLED this year. Like, an OLED Roku TV is, like, a very attractive idea of a product, right? But can you imagine, like, if you're the Amazon people and you're like, let's go to TCL and, like, get them to do it. And they're like, we can't because we make Android phones. <laughs> yeah. So all of this is related. Do you remember, like, was it last year? The EU said to Google, you cannot do this anymore in phones. You cannot bar people from forking Android to get Play services. But they can still... But they're doing it in TVs. <laughs> have it for TVs. So I just like this story to me. Like it hit all the right buttons for me. Uh, but it's so funny because like everyone's in like forty fifth place to Roku. So everyone's just like battling for scraps. And as somebody who owns a Sony Android TV, I'm not even like, yeah, that's it's definitely a TV that runs Android. <laughs> like, sometimes it just crashes well, out to like a honeycomb. That's why it's so. Interface. That's why it's so interesting to me that uh, Google would actually put it on its Chromecast because that seems to imply that they might be passionate about it. Have you ever seen a, a thirty-five hundred dollar OLED TV display like a gingerbread level UI element? Because <laughs> I have on the regular. No, I think Google like knows I, the streaming wars are here. You just like point a microphone at Julia, you get an hour of streaming wars. Like it's happening at, at extremely high rates. Mm-hmm. Owning that interface is the next battleground because you get to extract. Uh, Anko has actually made this point too, which I think is really smart. In the old days, you, the consumer, would pay Comcast. Mm-hmm. You'd pay them some money. You'd get a Comcast box, a uh, cable box. And then Comcast would distribute some of your money to ESPN. Right, yeah. To get ESPN on this box, Comcast owes Disney eleven dollars or some insanely high rate. Roku is like they're gonna give you the box. You just get a Roku box for eight dollars, mm. and then ESPN pays the money to be on the Roku box, which is a totally upside version of the market. ESPN, and then you pay ESPN. So like it's just like a, that whole market is inverting and mm. owning the interface is you become the gatekeeper to the consumer in a very real way. And I think there's just that race to own that interface in a way that I don't know Apple owned the iOS interface and the store gives them an enormous amount of power. Of is the ecosystem. anybody trying to do? I'm sorry to be so such a hack in, in my, but is anybody doing an open source version of this of like? Like, I would imagine if, if you're ESPN, like, you don't want to pay for access. I, I mean, we know this really well from Facebook. Like, Facebook decided at some point where it's like, you know what? All these things that are showing up on people's walls, what if we charged brands to get there, you know? So, like, people don't want to be in that, that scenario. Yeah, I mean— uh, this is when I would point out, like, uh, the NVIDIA Shield exists, but the NVIDIA Shield runs, runs Android, Android TV. TV. Yeah. So there's not, like, a great open source. I mean, I'm sure there is. And I guess Android TV they haven't attracted is kind of this in the sense that Android TV currently is not charging ESP, is not pay-to-play like Roku is. Right? Well, it's a store. It's just, I mean, just a traditional Android store. It's just a store. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an app store. And I think people don't perceive 
Roku is having that App Store dynamic, mm. but it absolutely does, which is why like Fox was dropped before the Super Bowl and all that stuff. I, it's just like I hadn't really considered how much that market had flipped from the traditional cable model, mm. and now you see like everybody gets it. Like the streaming wars are here. We need to own the operating system and the home screen because that will give us the power that I don't know, Apple and Google have in mobile. And I think Amazon, to Dieter's point, like Amazon wants that bad. I just want all the CEOs out there just take a little break, pull over your car, and think about how you could serve the customer rather than control the customer. That's the virtue. If you're a CEO, <laughs> ask your driver to pull over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, we, we've run long, but the, the last three stories I had here are all like regulatory stories. Like, there was a big hearing, an antitrust hearing in Congress this week that Addy covered uh, that was really focused on Google search mm-hmm. and um, preferential treatment and unbundling platforms from the products. It's like, could we write a law that shifts the boundaries of like how Google is allowed to promote its own stuff without pr- somehow also prohibiting Apple from preloading any apps on the iPhone? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a complicated. So that that hearing took place. That's moving along. There was a 230 encryption hearing where Congress is debating this bill called the Earn It Earn Act, it. which is horrible. Um, but basically, they'll take away 230 protections unless the platform is giving them a backdoor to encryption, which seems like the worst trade in the world. Yeah, it's so scummy and bad. It's all happening. And then uh, the T-Mobile Sprint is happening because California dropped its appeal. So, like, that stuff is all happening in the world. Like, the how do we allow platforms to compete? How do we protect the consumer? Like, How do we spy on our citizens? You know, the usual stuff. <laughs> well, so, you know, the spy on our citizens, the, the angle they've taken into it is, like, protecting children from abuse. You know, but is, you know who messages on those platforms? Children. Yeah. Like, maybe it's good that that's encrypted. Oh, so you're not spying on kids? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, the Earn It Act, it's going to be, it's been very hard this week in particular. If you read Casey's newsletter, I think. Thursday, today, the day it came out, he opens with, like, it's very hard to pay attention to everything because of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But this stuff is happening. Like, Congress is holding these hearings. They're advancing this legislation. Uh, Go read it. The Earn It Act stuff that Addy is doing is really good. Uh, We're paying a lot of attention to it. Obviously, subscribe to the interface. Casey's paying attention to it. But it is is definitely not on pause because of the pandemic. And the Earn It Act in particular, I think, a lot of attention is coming towards. Uh, And the antitrust stuff just keeps moving. This, like, non-discrimination idea that... If you own the platform, you shouldn't be able to discriminate against your competitors. Mm-hmm. Just picking up, picking up some steam. All right. That was a very long, very winding episode of Virtuast. I don't know if anybody noticed, uh, but I was just so excited to talk about anything that wasn't the virus for an hour <laughs> that we were all over the place. So sorry if we were a little sloppy. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday with the interview episode. Uh, we are currently scheduled. I'm very excited about this to get FCC Commissioner Jessica Rosenworcel. But who can know the future? Who can know what will happen between now and the date that we're <laughs> scheduled to conduct that interview? But I'm hoping everything just lines up and we do it. That'll be exciting. She really wants to talk about right now in the moment of the virus. We are straining our broadband networks higher than ever because everyone's at home mm-hmm. working from home. So I'm excited to have that conversation. And then we're going to keep doing the chat show. We'll just be a little bit more distributed from each other. So apologies if our sound quality goes a little little sideways. I suspect every podcast is going to be making this apology. So just yeah. tweet at me with your best podcast sound quality apology because I'm in the market for best practices. <laughs> I, I'm going to need one for this episode in particular because it, it turns out that uh, my backup recording took, but my main recording didn't. So this will be fun. Okay. You can tweet at us. I'm Reckless. Theater's Backlon. Paul's Future Paul. We'll see you on the other side. Rock and roll. Paul.
Wash your hands. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.